All right, so we're ready to begin episode three of the EdTech Pod Squad. If we can go ahead and just go around and introduce ourselves and what our roles are in education. All right, I'll go first. Hey, it's me, Josh Howard, and I am an instructional tech coach in Fulton. Hey, I am JP Presvento in Arnold, Missouri. I am the instructional technology coordinator for the Foxy Six School District. You can connect with you can connect with me at JP P R E Z Z on the Twitters. Hey, I'm Erin Lawson. I'm the district technology coach in the Orchard Farm School District, and you can find me on Twitter at Erin underscore Lawson three. And I'm Jonathan Lee. I am instructional specialist at the METC. That's METC, not METSI. Um, and host of the METC podcast. You can catch me at Twitter at Percent. And I'm Samantha Hardesty-Knoll. I'm an instructional technology coach for the Wentzville School District, and I'd love to connect with you on Twitter at TechKnoll. So today uh, we are going to be talking about our roles as coaching and, and how that plays into our school. And we're focusing around an article called a coach for every teacher. Um, so we're going to start off with talking about some things that are new. So does anybody have anything new going on that they want to share? So I will uh, start with the new uh, integrations that are coming out with docs and slides. Uh, here it's coming out through the early release channels here soon. I have not seen it on mine, but it is on the keyword blog. And um, apparently you're going to be able to insert slides into Google Docs and um, have that update feature like you do when you insert um, charts into uh, from sheets into slides. So it's kind of cool that you can be able to connect um, documents that you're ready to take notes on or um, maybe putting together an overall presentation that you want to update slides from. So pretty cool to be able to integrate those like that. I've already checked docs three times today. Mine hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> yeah, mine either. I haven't been able to try it either. I saw that and I got excited, but like everything else, I we're like on the last release wave or yeah. something. So. <laughs> All right, I just checked a document. And I have nothing right now. Yeah. That sounds like a really good way to kind of create an image in a in a slide and pop that right into your Google Doc. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it, the. Possibilities that would be great. I think it hopeful that's going to lead the way of making um, it a little more friendly to insert images or uh, content in docs. Because right now it's not as friendly as you would like it to be. I wish you could kind of put images behind text or layer or stuff on top of there, but um, it's kind of clanky. But yeah, like that's the thing I'd like to see kind of a docs overhaul where you can do more of that stuff with it. Maybe this is like a step in that direction, but I get really irritated with trying to format anything visual in a Google doc. So I just end up doing everything in slides, just turning it onto a vertical page uh, orientation. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, Joshua, if I'm putting more than one image in a document, I don't even open Google docs. I just had to write on over to Google slides and I do, you know, I manipulate the text boxes a little bit, but it's so much more user-friendly. Yep. Agreed. So someone put up here that GOO.GL shortener is going away. Who, who can explain that? <laughs> so looking at our show notes today, you know, I saw the question, the goo.goal URL shortener is going away. And my first thought was, yes, I'm so excited. Like, I know that a lot of folks have, you know, GOO.GL short links hanging out all around the web and, 
your links are going to die come May or whatever it is. But I think it's time for that to go away. Um, because for me, like goo.goal is not very useful to me anymore. And I haven't used it myself in a number of years because I've kind of migrated over to the bit.ly, the bit.ly URL shortener, because it has that Chrome extension, just like the Google shortener does, but you can customize those short links and it just makes it so much more user-friendly. I can think about times, whether I've been in an event or whether I've been working with kids or teachers and I get the, is that a capital I or a lowercase? I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, that's why I gave up on it forever ago because it's apparently case sensitive, which is incredibly irritating. Uh, cause I'd have people, so I, who at, presentations or stuff if i use the goo goo.gl shortener those urls never work so yeah like bitly is the bomb like that's i've been using that for years um in the notes somebody typed in bit.do bit do uh i looked at that it looks like it's really awesome so that would sounds like another really uh, great alternative we've been we've been using um bit.do um just kind of testing it out at orchard farm and it's been really really cool so uh, some of our librarians did like a escape room night to, for a fundraiser. And so they needed the music to play. They needed a timer to go. They needed like three different things to be up on the screen, but they needed to be able to run from classroom to classroom and get it all set up really fast. And so we just did bit.do outbreak music, bit.do outbreak timer, it bit.do. And so you can name it and then people can remember exactly what to type in without even having to look at it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and the thing I liked about it is, unlike Bitly, not all of the custom links are, like, gone. So if you try to put something that's has the date or that event, you can still actually get it, which is nice. Yeah. One more thing on that. What I usually do and what I tell people with their whatever um, custom URL shortener you use in Bitly, Bitdo, TinyURL, is to have a structure, right? So, you know, my tech advisory team, we have a structure. It always starts with... F-E-A-T dash, the date number, A, B, C for the document name. And that way I can, I'm almost guaranteed that those links aren't taken up and it's easy for me to remember and it's easy for folks to kind of follow that pattern. So even if I forget to, you know, link to the agenda, they know that it's, you know, May, our next meeting is May 2nd. So it's bit.ly slash feet 52A, it'll get them to something. Yeah, that's smart. And I do the same thing like with all my, cause I pretty much, Anything I share is a bit.ly link now. So it's FPS uh, and then the date and then whatever abbreviation for whatever that event is. So it's a smart organization idea. So, so my question with that is, uh, so I use that go.gl shortener, the extension. Mm -hmm. That's not a Google product. So will those still work? Or is that Google is not going to support that kind of link? How's that? Will the forwarded link still be active is what you're saying? Like the forwarding? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And then um, I haven't seen any res resolution. That, like when you do the um, slides presentation with questions, the Q&A, that's a go.gl link too. Are they, are they adjusting that, I guess? Too? I, mean, I guess huh. they would have to. I wonder how that's going to work. Mm -hmm. so I haven't seen anything on that. That's why I was kind of curious. to. I, I, I was trying to look through the revision history. I may have thrown that question on there eons ago, but <laughs> – I, That's I a good question know. because I know like we use that quite a bit and I see that a lot at conferences and stuff, people using those questions and you're right, it is a .gl shortened link. So I wonder. That's interesting. Yeah. So I couldn't tell if it's more of like a back end thing that uh, Google just wasn't um, going to let it work. I'm, I don't know. I, I guess what we'll the, because it's already 
dead, right? It's not officially working, supposedly. I thought it was like a end of March kind of thing, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't use it, so I don't know when it will. Okay, I just went to goo.goal, and I see, you know, some short links that I've made, and I just made another one right now, and starting March 30th, they're going to be turning down support for goo.goal from April 13th. Only existing users will be able to create short links, and this is right from goo.goal. Yeah. Um, and then it says you'll be able to view analytic data and download your short link information until March 30, 2019. So in March 2019, they're going to totally discontinue goo.goal. But previously created links are going to continue to redirect to their intended destination. That's good. Yep, that's good to know. And I'm going to go ahead and lo- uh, link that Google that in the article in the show notes. I like that. Thank you. Great idea. Great idea. Well, uh, just kind of move us along. I put in another uh, new thing here. This, uh, I'm sure maybe you've heard about it. Maybe not this. Uh, it's a new, it's actually a Google app. It's called grasshopper. Um, have any of you heard of this? I just learned about it this morning, actually. Oh, it's, uh, it's really cool. So, uh, what it is, it's a, uh, kind of a g- gamified, uh, coding application, but it's not, it's, it's, if you took something from Khan Academy and you like dumbed it down even a little bit more, um, it's it's a, just this really simple structure to teaching really basic coding skills like that kind of spiral up. Um, it's really it's really pretty good. I haven't used it with students yet, but I'm getting really excited to maybe figure out a way to employ that with kids. Just because it's really user friendly, it looks like a game. And you do see, like, you know, if you type in a piece of script or code, you immediately see what it does, and it's all on your phone. So if you haven't like had a chance to check it out, it's really uh, it's worth at least looking into and seeing, like, if you have a teacher who's teaching uh, technology, or if you have like a um, computer systems design class or something like that, just to kind of be like a really good introductory skill or game for some kids to be trying out. Josh, what grade level do you think it's appropriate for? Uh, I would totally use this in middle school. Like uh, probably even upper elementary kids could try this, but I think like I'm going to have my middle school technology teacher probably use this. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be recommending it to our middle school students, especially with our tech interns group, because they always do like more advanced um, technology units and skills and stuff like that. And even they'll go on and, train other teachers and people how to do that stuff. So I, this is definitely something I foresee getting them started with and they can start creating their own. Uh, Cause kind of what you do in there is you can like make apps and little script script things that change colors and fonts and stuff like that. So I can see kids uh, in that middle school level. It might be a bit juvenile for even high school, but I think it would be useful there too. Is the full name of the app Grasshopper by Area 120? Does that sound Yeah, familiar? yeah. So Area 120 is a some sort of subsidiary of Google, but yeah, that's the app. And so yeah, the okay. uh, if you look in the app store, it's a little silhouette of a abstraction of a grasshopper. Um, definitely check it out because uh, it's really easy. You can do a little bit every day. They have quizzes. It teaches you all the vocabulary, which for me is always the hardest part to get started with kids is like what a lot of these words and terms mean and that it doesn't let you even go into the functional stuff until you know what all the terms mean. You have to like pass a complete a quiz before you can even do anything with it. 
Nice. Great. All right. Do we want to go ahead and move ahead to the coach's corner? Sounds good. Sounds All good. right, Jonathan, it looks like you uh, had an experience with the wonderful Sadie Lewis. Do you want to talk about that? I did. I got the chance to sit down with her out of the Millville School District, and we recorded a podcast. It was episode 28 of that METC podcast, and she shared some great links uh, and information on how she handles her coaching down there in Millville with about 700 teachers, which is sounds uh, a tough task. But um, So, yeah, so she was nice to share like the survey she sends out and, and some of the workflows she deals with. Um, so definitely should check that out uh, if you are looking to kind of help organize what you're doing. And then part of that podcast has a Flipgrid piece. So all of my tech coaches, I'm looking to um, invite you out to kind of share any ideas that you have within your own district to kind of expand on that um, to others. So check out the Flipgrid link there as well. Um, I'm interested. Did, did uh, she mention, she tweeted out a thing today, uh, connected coaches and it, she tweeted out and it was, I don't know. I didn't, I haven't really talked to her about it, but um, it's basically some sort of group where coaches are going to be able to collaborate and share like documents, uh, training material, stuff like that. Did she mention anything about that or um she she mentioned that she calls hers connected coaching, but I'm not not to the extent of what you're talking. It was more okay. About- well, I think she shared something out today, like some big like for Tomoed chat for like teachers in Missouri. So okay, that sounds pretty yeah, good. Yeah, be uh, be definitely something to look into. Uh, check her out on Twitter too. So because she just put something out today. Absolutely. Will do. All right, now we're going to go ahead and move into our featured content. So the article that we read was called A Coach for Every Teacher by Kim Green. Um, and the first question that we're going to jump into and is what do coaching sessions usually look like in your school? Are they co-teaching, strategizing, or resource curation? Who wants to lead us off? I'd say for me, a lot of my coaching sessions are very spontaneous. It's when a, a teacher has seen something on Twitter or Moed chat, or um, they you know read something on a blog, or they were just talk, talking to another teacher, and they're like, hey, Erin, what is this? Can you come sit with me and let's, let's talk about it? How could I use it with, with my lessons? And I'm like, what do you got? You got next Monday open? They're like, yeah, sounds good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> um, my teachers definitely guide my entire schedule, so, which is awesome. That's the way it should be. Um, so yeah, it's very spontaneous and it's just sitting down and just take, taking a look at the tool, um, finding some cool uses for it. Um, but we always have talks about, you know, you always, you know, you don't want to like try to stick that tool into a lesson and it's more to enhance it. So it might, you know, always start with your lesson planning first. And then if that tool would work for it, then great. But if it's not, then don't try to like wedge it in there. Um, so we just have really good little coaching conversations like that about best practices. Um, so I would agree with what Aaron said, like the way that I do it is also you kind of work with the teacher where they are. So it's not like, you know, some teachers want me to come in and teach a lesson and they want to watch. Uh, some teachers want me to uh, help them plan the lesson and then we kind of implement it together. And some of my teachers just email me and say, Hey, I need thing to do X, Y, Z. Can you share that out with me? Um, so that's really my role is I don't require teachers to sit down with me or work, 
have any kind of specific structure. Um, from time to time, principals will come to me or other administrators and be like, hey, I need you to work with this teacher. Here are three days. I want you to go sit down with them and work on a lesson plan because they need this or this is something you're good at that they need to work on. But for most teachers, they're coming to me and it's based on their style and their needs. So I push into PLCs at um, all four of our middle schools over here in Fox. And Aaron was actually down one day when we pushed into a PLC when she was doing a little um, EdTech field trip with me. And so a lot of the coaching work I do usually starts in those rooms where, you know, we'll be talking about um, a new tool or new activity, engage students. And a lot of times the, my coaching conversations stem from that as teachers will say, I like this idea. I'm just not quite sure how to get it started or I don't have the confidence to do this on my own or this is really great. How about we add X, Y, and Z piece to it? So that's one way that I kind of get my coaching, my coaching um, sessions going. But another way kind of more structured that we try and do or that I try and do, um, although I can do fewer of them this way, is we, I sit down with the teacher and we kind of look at their unit plan and I try to develop a partnership for that entire unit of instruction and look at ways that we can use instructional technology to increase students' level of engagement and collaboration throughout that entire unit. So really kind of looking at that unit plan, looking at what our curricular goals and objectives are, and just like Aaron said a minute ago, figuring out how we can make the technology fit in with the pedagogy, not make the pedagogy fit in with the technology. Yeah, I like, I like that. I, I uh, read this article as part of a state um, consultant activity. We, we met at Jeff City, and, and they shared this, and, it, and it's going to kind of bleed into the second question that we have. But, uh, you know, we walk into buildings, and districts or buildings look at us as, oh, well, we're doing something wrong, or we don't need coaching, or that kind of thing. So how how do you guys work with – how do you meet the teachers that don't – reach out to you you know i mean like josh kind of hit on it or uh, i think it was josh said that um, you know sometimes a principal will say i need you to work with x teacher that kind of thing because the article is kind of saying does every teacher need a coach and i think i would argue yes um you know a lot of all of our athletes need coaches so why wouldn't uh, our teachers too um but how do we convince them that a coach is a good thing and not oh i'm doing something wrong kind of thing I really liked how the article said we need to frame it for growth instead of deficit. Um, and I think that's a mind shift, a mindset shift for a lot of our teachers, like that extra help, like we're continuously learning and growing and um, that we need to have the support of other teachers to be able to grow in our craft. And um, I know for me, a lot of it comes down to, for my resistant teachers, it comes down to relationship building. Um, and I might visit with them five times and just talk about the kids and what they're interested in before I actually try to weave in um, some instructional practices or some technology tools that could help them. And then by that time, they, you know, they trust me enough that they don't mind me sitting next to them and going through and teaching them how to do uh, we video for a book talk. No, I, I think that's a good point. I, I, it's a, you know, it wasn't an easy question, and I like to relate to sports. I think the article related to sports because there was three different ones we read, and this was just one of them. But um, you know, look at the uh, players. They have a coach that's off the team and a coach, many coaches on the team, and you know, I think it's helpful for any teacher, even as coaches, to have coaches, people to kind of sit alongside of us. And I think that rapport and that relationship is huge. Couldn't agree with you more there. 
I definitely agree with that too, because um, so you guys have heard me talk before about our district technology committee. And I really, um, I look to them to be kind of an extension of me basically in that whole coaching aspect. Um, so because basically, you know, they all have completely different personalities than I do um, teach different grade levels than I did with sixth grade. And so then they go back to their buildings and they're really like tech leaders in their buildings. And so some of those uh, resistant teachers might, or reluctant teachers, whatever, they might look to those guys and feel like they can connect better with them and be able to have a conversation with them than maybe with me. Um, and then within those buildings, they are also putting together a building technology committee with like five or six people on that. So it's just kind of spreading it out there that hopefully then we will touch everybody in the building because they just know the different people and can just have good conversations and, and not feel scared basically. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. Like with what Aaron was just saying, that's like the thing I've had the greatest success with is training trainers. So I have a really trusted group of people who are on my a technology committee that I co-chair with an assistant superintendent and our technology director. And what we do is we decide what the teachers need because I'm not always the best person to decide that out of the classroom for a while now. And the technology director who is more like plugging in cat five cables, he probably doesn't know what all the teachers need. So meeting with them and then having a group of teachers that we can bounce ideas off of with helps us to gauge what teachers are looking for a little bit more. But also um, the more I find that, the again being out of the classroom for a few years now teachers aren't necessarily seeing me as a person who is a safe person to come in and like be an ally for them they a lot of people see oh here's an administrator here's somebody that i can't necessarily trust with my teacher problems so having teachers on your side who can go in and offer feedback um share resources that are kind of trickling down through a a team that's kind of brainstorming ideas together. Um, and along with that, another thing that I do is uh, in our PD, I have where teachers can basically on their own time earn like certifications or badges on, on things. And I actually have the teachers will put those stickers on their laptop and we give them buttons they can wear on their lanyards. And now we have teachers who are pretty much advertising the skills and achievements they've learned with technology. And teachers and buildings know, hey, I can go talk to this person because they're really good with uh, doing back channel uh, lessons or this teacher's really good with editing video, this teacher's really good with ABC, whatever. Um, finding ways that you can empower other people to start to change the culture of the way that they see technology, professional development, the way it looks in the district in general, not just like, hey, Josh is here, I guess we're gonna learn about technology today. I know coming from a, a larger district that, you know, kind of breaking down the size of our district, I, I lean very heavily upon our cohort groups um, and then working with them and following up with them. Uh, and that way I can be visible in their buildings as follow up. And usually that spurs on more conversations with other teachers is just kind of sparking different ideas. Um, one of the, I'm not even going to call it a cohort, but we actually have a group that we just call our, our beta group. We, we sent out a survey and said, who wants to be our beta testers? And um, we got a group of about 50 teachers across the district that are essentially kind of our guinea pigs. 
but that helps me if I need to get into a classroom because like you said, Josh, once you're out of the classroom, you're, you're, you are a little removed from it. Um, but that allows me to go in the classroom and say, hey, you know, I really want to try out Seesaw with a group of kindergartners and see it in action. You, who wants to partner with me to try this out? And uh, that's, been, that's been a good approach to um, getting in and kind of breaking down those barriers of I'm a coach, but I'm also a teacher too. I'm glad that you mentioned Seesaw because I've been kind of diving into that and I felt like I was hitting a wall because like, well, I don't have a group of students and mm -hmm. I don't have a group of parents. And so I was like, I don't know how to go further with this uh, to learn more about it. And so we're putting together a little Seesaw cohort basically of teachers so we can all kind of grow together and learn how to use Seesaw mm -hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. But you have to do that. I mean, we need our teachers absolutely to help us out. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but just to go along with that, like I find as a tech coach, if I reach out to like Seesaw, I've done this or we did it with Nearpod. Like if I contact those people and I tell them, hey, I have a group of teachers who want to try this, they'll like comp us like a gold license or, a, you know, the free premium, whatever. And sometimes that's a big uh, bone that you can throw to a teacher. Like, hey, you've been wanting to try Nearpod. Here's a gold license for the next 12 months. I want you to try it and tell me what you think. And a lot of these, the companies of those apps are more than happy to give you that and get feedback and actually have kind of like a feedback cohort. And it's good for you too, because then, Hey, something I can give teachers. That's awesome. All right. So let's move on to the question of what work has your district done or what work can it continue to do to foster a culture of coaching? So, you know, I'll, I'll start talking on this one. Um, you know, we're in a, a unique place over here where we have very few folks who are in that official role of, you know, coach. And, you know, my job is really only, I call it one third coaching. Um, the other two thirds are all the other things that we, that we all probably do a whole bunch of, um, you know, but some of the work we've done, we look at who, who else we can work with um, as far as like outside vendors to help help with some of that coaching and really to kind of develop our own internal leaders, whether it's through um, co cohorts like we've been talking a little bit about today um, or just little ways that we can kind of propel our own kind of high flyers into those leadership roles where they feel comfortable kind of um, sharing what they know and sharing their best practices with other teachers in their building, you know, through um, like our student learn learning summits where teachers have an opportunity to share their best practices and that kind of thing. And I just kind of spouted out a whole bunch of little, little random ideas there. I'll, I guess I'll throw something in here. Um, I'm sure like with, and it kind of goes along with what JP was just saying, but like you guys all probably are in more than one place. Like you probably not just have one school, like most tech coaches are district or you have a, you do middle school or something. So like for my example, I have, six different schools <clears throat> that I work in and I could be in any of those schools in a given day. And I always notice like cult culture is different. Leadership is different. What people value at those places are all really different. Um, so the one thing that we've really had to do is work with all of those people in leadership positions to decide what is, uh, what's important to show 
teachers that growth is important, that they need to be going out and expanding their skill sets, that this is something that we expect teachers to do. We expect them to search out uh, growth opportunities, to find places to be coached, to go learn new things. And like I've worked in school districts district before where that wasn't a priority. And so you would have after school workshops or you'd have uh, professional development days where people just flat out weren't showing up. And those are often reflections of leader, the building culture, the the leaders in those buildings. So it starts like right from the top. If the people who are in charge of the ones you're coaching aren't coming to those things, neither are your teachers. So I have great principals who will come and they will bring their teachers and they will say, this is important. This is part of the culture of our building. But you know, in my district, there's also buildings where that's not as prevalent or as important with those staffs. And so you see where the values are put in those districts. So it really starts just from the top, like getting those people on board is like always where my biggest successes have been. That's a really good point, Josh. You know, we have, we have, we're going to be having a couple new leaders come in next year. And I'm really excited to see kind of what the, what those buildings look like and what kind of shifts we're going to have there in that, you know, culture of how do we share, how do we lead and where our values as our teachers are growing and, and developing and sharing what they know. Do you guys feel that coaching takes a lot of patience, like patience, overall patience, time-wise, all of that kind of stuff? I'm curious of your thoughts on that. I think it requires patience, and I think it requires a lot of thick skin because I don't think that all the time, um, you know, I've had I've had a couple weeks where I feel like we've done some good work. Um, but I also feel like I've met a lot of resistance and, and those are the teachers that wake me up at night and I worry about like, how, how can I get in and show them that there are these tools that they can use to improve their students' um, experience in their classroom. But yep, the, it, a lot of patience. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Well, um, I, I just get always get this feeling like so many people in my district see me as this extravagance, like this thing that uh, doesn't apply to me or I'm just going to teach anyway. And whenever the tech guy shows up, whatever, you know, I'll be patient and listen. And it's, it's really different to see like teachers that I used to teach with that I was on teams with and we used to plan together how they'll approach me versus like new teachers or people out of the district don't know me uh, will have no interest whatsoever. And you just have to be, really super patient with people who don't understand what you do, don't have value in the thing that you're talking about. And I also feel like you have to find people who can kind of help you showcase the good stuff that you can do as well. And then make a big deal out of that. So a lot of like, I get down and frustrated and then I will go to a classroom where I just know, it's going to rock like something good's going to happen. Something cool's going to happen. And then I will tweet that out or I'll share that. And then that'll kind of get the ball rolling on something else. But I feel like there are moments when you do have to kind of like, okay, I'm beating my head against the wall. I'm going to go somewhere that's going to just turn my day around a little bit. I've just really been thinking about it lately, just because this is my fourth year in Orchard Farm as the tech coach and be, you know, be my fifth year next year. And it's just kind of, you know, funny when I, you know, do you guys ever do this? You reflect back on, you know, what are the best, what, what's this past year been like, or, you know, how, how have my teachers grown and all of that kind of stuff. And 
you know, just for, to tell other new coaches out there that it really does take patience. It takes a long time sometimes to get things rolling and you have your high flyers, your teachers that'll grab right onto it and have something going for, you know, within two weeks, but then it could take four years for somebody else to really feel comfortable. Um, and then talking about that relationship, that relationship piece too, you know, you have to really get to know every single one of your teachers and then to start then connecting one teacher with another teacher so they can coach each other and all of those kind of things. It's crazy how long it can take to finally get to that point. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about like with me, 200 teachers, like how do like there's teachers that I don't know that I don't know their name. Like I'll walk into a building and I'll be like, Hey, and they'll be like, Hey, Hey, uh, Mr. Howard, what's up? And I'd be like, uh, hi. Like it's hard because like, I don't have a great relationship with everybody. Um, and I don't even know if that even comes with time, but I know that there are people who you do build up really strong relationships with. And I feel like, when it all boils down to it, you have to also invest in people who are willing to grow and try to be better at stuff. And some people, I mean, I have teachers in my district who worked here for 20 years who, if they saw me walking down the hall, they'd close the door, you know? Uh, so I'm probably not going to go in there anymore. That's okay too. It's just knowing your audience and where your time is best spent. I agree with you, Josh, yeah. though, you know, you're yeah. talking about it comes from the leadership perspective. And I mean, we, I just totally respect art at Orchard Farm. I respect Dr. Muzzy, our superintendent. It starts right there. He went to ISTE last year. I mean, he was right there. And uh, for our beginning of the year message in August, he's like, I went to ISTE. Here's what I learned. Here's what I expect. And it really, from him giving his expectations, it just trickled right down to all the teachers. And they immediately started reaching out to me, come to my classroom and help me with this. <laughs> but it is interesting though, how all of those kind of things can start from the top. As well. Yeah. And we'll make sure that uh, Dr. Muzzy gets a personal copy of this episode. Erin's <laughs> <laughs> going for that bonus, that end as, of the year bonus. And she records this from our yeah. house, but you know, Hey, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's go ahead and get to the closing there. Miss, Miss Sam. All right, so uh, we have some closing comments. Um, lots of our pod squad are doing phenomenal things throughout the summer. Just kind of want to catch our audience up on uh, where we're going to be at and some of the work that we're going to be doing over the summer. So, Josh, you want to lead us off because I know you're going throughout the state this summer. Oh, sure. Um, well, so I um, every summer I partner with the Show Me Curriculum Administrators Association, uh, SMCAA. And we do uh, science curriculum workshops, but we also do, uh, the last couple of years, we've done Google certification workshops just for level one. So if teachers who are um, interested in getting a level one certification in Google, I do workshops throughout the state. We're doing, I think, six, maybe seven. I can't remember if, uh, how many we kept this year. But we're all over the place. And you can check my website. Uh, if you just go to joshchhower.com and click on the Google certifications tab across the top, there are dates on there and there is anything you'd need to get signed up. Um, and it would be great if you came out. It's always a lot of fun and we get a lot of teachers certified every summer. So uh, it would be great to see some people out for that. Awesome. JP, what's, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, we got a bunch of stuff going on this summer. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some not necessarily ed tech stuff. Um, Fox school district partners with Carnegie, who is a um, math content provider added up 
which is a math conference for three days in July, July, uh, I believe 17, 18, 19, with national level keynotes and very high level breakouts that feature uh, math coaches from all around the area. So any of our math teachers out in the audience or math coaches, that's a great event for you guys to attend. We also have a summer literacy, literacy workshop the week before the, that, July 11th through 13th. And it's gonna follow a very similar format. We're gonna have national level um, literacy keynotes and high level breakout sessions with coaches. And the great thing, or I guess the unique thing about that particular workshop is it's just designated or geared for secondary ELA teachers. So if you guys have secondary ELA teachers who need to do some learning, especially, especially around reading, writing workshop, um, that's a great event. And I'm doing breakouts of both of those. I've tricked the planning committees into letting me talk. <laughs> And then on July 26th, I'm doing an event with the Northwest School District called Jeffco Tech Fest. Um, and it's just a half day of learning around everything technology and education. Uh, it's called Jeffco Tech Fest, but everyone is invited. Um, I have links to all three of those in the show notes. So hopefully I'll see some of you guys this summer for some learning. All right, Jonathan, what I'm sure METC has some things that they're offering this summer. Oh, one or two. So, uh, I threw, I threw the links out there, and I just included the ones that started in the summertime. And uh, so we've got uh, Discovery Education we partner with here at METC and Education Plus. They are going to put together a Summer of STEM Day. It's a free full-day event that's actually going to be partnered with the South Central RPDC uh, and hosted at Waynesville High School down there in Waynesville, Missouri. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and then we got a couple Google events, one in June and one in July. Google Mania uh, is probably one of our most popular events. We did, we've done quite a few of those. We actually have one Thursday, Friday of this coming week um, in April for those who are listening in May because it's coming up May 1st. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's similar to a boot camp, but it's not necessarily – the goal is not necessarily a certification. So it's really just kind of a very broad stroke of different Google apps um, hopefully everybody get a little bit of something from all the different places. And then the extravaganza that is being called is a two day, uh, different sessions, different presenters. I think JP is going to try to present every single session, uh, both days. No, only one of the days if he gets accepted, but, uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, so that's July 16th and 17th. <laughs> And then the Summer Institute is all about STEAM. That's in July 23rd and 24th. And then the biggest thing I want to go into a little bit is the ISTE standard certification. So um, we, the ISTE obviously comes out with these standards every year. Uh, they refresh them every five years, and, and they have the student and teacher standards. They are now coming out with their own certification process that uh, teachers can be certified in ISTE standards. Um, and they were looking to their premier affiliates, which MBTC is one of them, to um, find partners to push this out. Uh, and there are four in the country right now. MBTC is going to be one of them. And actually four in the world, but they're all in the United States. Um, and so we're pretty excited to be able to be one of four. Uh, we got one in New York, one in Texas, and one in Washington State. So we'll be right in the middle of the country. Um, anybody who wants to say they're ASD certified will be able to go through this course uh, and do some work and do put together a portfolio and then get that stamp of approval stating that they have been certified. So it's pretty exciting. Um, it's going to be officially announced in May by ISTE with more information on um, how to get certified and all the 
information on that soon. So check out the uh, METC.org website for more information on that. Great. And Aaron, I know you put together a really nice flyer that had some local summer PD for your teachers. Yeah, so I've just been kind of searching out there trying to find different things like that, yeah, locally that I can put together and just send to my teachers for them to, if they want to, uh, they could go and check out some of that PD. Um, one of the things that's been really cool, uh, Lindenwood University right by us out there in St. Charles, they have an idea studio in their new library space. And uh, Janet Gerard is um, offering a lot of really cool stuff, Google level one, Google level two, lots of STEM activities, um, things like that. Um, throughout the summer that um, anybody can go to and attend. Uh, let me think what else too. I think Maryville University has a STEM certificate that you can receive. You can work on it all through June and get STEM certified. So that's pretty cool. Um, I've got the Jeffco Tech Fest on there. Um, <laughs> JP's doing thumbs up right now. Um, and so yeah, lots of just different things on there just for teachers if they want to try to learn throughout the summer. Um, a couple are, well actually our first um, the first time that we, you know, did this or whatever, we talked about different podcasts that we all liked. And I added those on there as well for teachers that maybe they can't attend any of those PD events that are going around here, but they could listen to some of those podcasts. So that's all on that document. Awesome. Very good. Any other closing comments that we need to do before we wrap it up for today? Nope. I think that's it. Just make sure everybody knows to access the show notes there through our channel. And otherwise, it's been a great conversation. Go ahead and close it down. <laughs>